Dun, dun, we're back in Luke. Yay. And there was a cheer. Yay. Oh, that was pitiful. There was, a, I heard a story about this rich miser. And he worked, I mean, he worked hard in his life, but he accumulated great wealth. And he got to the point where he knew he was going to death and uh, he was sick and he kind of knew he was getting there. And he decided that he wanted to take it with him when he went. And so he, you know, he worked this out and then he went to his wife and he said, honey, I want, I don't know if he'd say honey, he's a miser. He was like, whatever he says, wife, I'd like to take it with me when I go. And she's like, what, are you crazy? And he says, yeah. And so he worked at her, worked at her, worked at her. So finally she promised that he could take it with him when he went. And he said, I want you to, to put my wealth into the casket with me. And I'm gonna, that's how I'm going to die. And so finally she swears that she's going to do this. So crazy enough. And everyone hears about it. And so when the guy finally does die and she's at the graveside, she has a a big box with her and the casket has been prepared for this and she's got this box and everyone's watching to see if she's going to do this and so you know they're get ready and they close it up and then they're about to lower it and she says she's standing there and then she says wait wait she takes the box and she goes over opens the casket and puts it in and closes it and then she goes back and sits down and her friend sitting next to her says don't tell me you you actually did it that greedy gut, you, you didn't put the money in there with them. And she says, as they lower it down, she said, yes, I did. I'm a good woman, and I keep my promises. So I wrote him a check. <laughs> See if he cashes it. Maybe you'd like to take it with you when you go. Maybe that's you. Maybe you'd like to do that. Or maybe for some of you, there's not enough to take with you. You're like, I'd like the clean break. My debt can stay here and I'll go on to whatever else. Maybe my earning potential in the future. I don't know. I don't know what it's like for you. But I do know that for all of us, money can be weird. It can, it's one of those things that, you know, it makes us a bit weird. People can be greedy. People can be anxious. And we're, we struggle through this kind of idea of money. And the obsession with money runs counter kingdom. Now, as we go, we're exploring Luke, we're back in Luke again, and um, our Luke for Everyone series, we call it Luke for Everyone, we're going to do this until we hit Advent again for a couple more months, and then we'll reassess how we're feeling about our many-year foray into Luke. (laughs) In little bits, in little bits. Um, But our Luke series celebrates um, that the good news of Jesus is good news for everyone. It's good news for everyone. And that's really what the message of Luke is about. And it didn't take us long into this series before we realized that um, Jesus' message about the kingdom is in conflict with worldly and religious paradigms or perspectives. They were in conflict. And we see it over and over where Jesus is in conflict with these other things. And we realize, wow, Jesus' message, his proclamation, his actions about the kingdom, are in conflict with these other views. Now, we're in Luke 12, and um, in this part of the, the story, in this part of Luke's account, Jesus is interacting over an inheritance. These people are fighting about an inheritance, about money, and Jesus um, 
responds to them with a parable, with a story that has meaning, and also a challenge. And it's all about money, it's about greed, it's about anxiety, and it's about the kingdom. So if you have issues with any of those things, you're going to enjoy today's message, because that's what we're exploring. So let's read it together, Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 13 to 34. I'm going to read out of the ESV, although I brought my NIV, so that's not helpful. Um, So... We'll find it. Uh, Verse 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or greed in the NIV, it says. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, fool, fool. How does God say the word fool? Oh, that's a hard one. This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, (laughs) adding hours to your life, that sounds small, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And my big idea this morning is that stingy living is about fear. Trust God and live in generous kingdom investment. Stingy living is about fear. Trust God and live in generous kingdom investment. We're talking about bigger barns. That's really what the story is about this morning. And there was a a story that went out about Millard 
Fuller, and he was the Habitat for Humanity guy, the guy in charge of Habitat for Humanity. And he was doing a workshop for a bunch of pastors in Pittsburgh at the Theological Seminary. About 200 pastors were in this seminar. And as soon as they started the seminar, these pastors, all of them started complaining about that all of the problems in the church and fulfill, the church fulfilling its mission in the world would be solved if people just weren't so selfish and greedy. If people weren't selfish and greedy, then, you know, the church would be able to do its mission. And so Millard asked the group this question. He said, is it possible for a person to build a house so large that it's sinful in the eyes of the Lord? Raise your hands if you think it's so. And to a person, everyone in the group put up their hand. Everyone believed it is possible to build a house so large that it's sinful in the eyes of the Lord. And then Millard asked this question. Okay, can you tell me at exactly what size the precise square footage a house becomes sinful to occupy? And there was quiet. And then someone piped up from the back. When it's bigger than mine. Isn't that the truth? That house is sinful. It's just a little bit bigger than mine. A little bit nicer than mine. What, when, is too, when is big too big? This is the story Jesus tells. He says, talking about a wealthy person who has big barns. And then there's this bumper crop. And all of this, this flood of crop comes in, harvest. And the question he has is, what am I going to do with all this stuff? It's not fitting in my barn anymore. And his, this guy's answer to his question is, well, I'll just tear down the barn and build bigger barns. And then we'll fit it in and it'll be good. And then God gets angry and is mad and calling people fools. He's like, whoa, what's happening? What's the big deal? Like the guy had a problem. He solved the problem. That just doesn't sound too horrible. I mean, I guess he's being greedy or something. What's the problem is not, let me tell you what it's not. The problem is not that he had a good harvest. That's not the problem. And the problem is not that he's rich. That's not the problem. And the problem is not that he fills his big barn. That is not the problem. The problem is that in the blessing, in the overflow, he misses the opportunity to sow into eternity. That's the problem. That is the problem. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kind of covetousness or greed. Is this our problem in North America? Is this our problem in Canada? Is this our problem in Maple Ridge? Uh-oh. It's getting closer. Greed is such a bad word, isn't it? If I said, now, is anyone here greedy? We'd all be like, no, greed, no. I know some greedy people, but like, whoa, greed, hey, that's really nasty, ugly word. What if I said, are you a consumer? People would be like, oh, yeah, I'm a consumer. Consumer just means I buy things. I buy things. You buy things. We all need to buy things. I just bought some stuff today. It's awesome. <laughs> More stuff. <laughs> Suddenly, we all sort of feel nervous, right? And it was like, oh, don't put those together. That's, that doesn't go together, does it? Need a new Apple phone? Need a nicer ride? Need a bigger place? What's wrong with bigger and better and faster and nicer? I'll tell you what's wrong. Covetness, the need, the, the 
dissatisfaction with what you have and the looking toward what other people have and wanting that is destructive. It is destructive. Leo Tolstoy tells this story, or he writes this story. It's about a successful peasant farmer. So it's this peasant farmer who's had to work for everything, and he just, he never feels like he has enough. So, you know, he's getting more and more, but it's like, it's just never enough. And there's this opportunity for this peasant farmer that's a special opportunity. If he'll pay a thousand rubles, he can have all the land that he can walk around in one day. So he thinks this is a good deal. Now the catch is, he's got to, wherever he walks, he's got to be back where he started by sundown. And he says, okay, I can do this. So he pays his thousand rubles and he gets ready. And on the morning he's ready to go and he starts and he's going at a good clip and he's going and he just goes and goes and he goes until midday and he's just going and then he gets to mid afternoon and starts to get later afternoon. And suddenly he realizes that his greed has taken him very, very far from where he started. And so he realizes now He's so far and so to get back, he starts running and he runs his way back. <laughs> and by late in the day, he's just dying. It's like, <laughs> and his muscles are straining and he's, he's sweating and gasping and he's just, he's just stumbling and he gets back and he sees the, the line and just the sun's going down and he crosses the line at the last second and collapses on the ground and a little spittle and some blood is coming out of his mouth. He's just on the ground. And suddenly he dies. I didn't write this story. Tolstoy did. So, And then his servants take his body and they dig a hole and they six feet by three feet and they put him in it and they cover him over. And the title of the story is How Much Land Does a Man Need? Six feet by three feet? How much land is enough? Bridget, that wasn't the funny part. She's got the giggles. The truth is, though, greed, greed destroys. It destroys and it steals our joy. And at first it could be subtle. But then it's not subtle after a while. Suddenly you realize, I'm in this black hole. I'm sliding down this slope. And it's never enough. I don't even know where the bottom of this thing is. I just need more and more and more. I never feel secure. I never feel satisfied. Proverbs 11.24 says this in a message paraphrase. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you can it get any smaller? Yes, still getting smaller. That's how it works. Covetness is not confidence. It's not confidence. God calls him a fool. It's foolish to feel confident in temporary unstable things. To say, oh, my confidence is in this. It's like, well, that's kind of foolish that you think that's stable. Foolish to spend his life on possessions. Foolish to think that's all there is. Jesus says one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, there's some parables that Jesus tells that aren't really explained. 
And so you go and you read the commentary, you look at church history. How did they explain this over the years? How did they, you know, understand this parable? This one, Jesus explains it for us. We don't have to wonder. What is this? What did he mean by this? He says what he means. So the one, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus tells us our confidence is not in the amount of stuff we have. Our confidence is not in a pension plan or in, a, in Freedom 55. Our confidence is not in owning a house or in a great and stable career. Our confidence is not in keeping up with the Joneses or the Headleys or the latest Apple product or whatever your thing is. When our soul is required of us, and it will be required of us, our confidence is in a treasure that is eternal. That's our confidence. Secondly, Jesus talks about worryless living. Worryless living. I don't know why I made up that word, but it's red in my computer. It's underlined red. Doesn't like it. There's a, a Jewish joke. I don't know why it's a Jewish joke, but it is. It's, the guy's name is Feldman. And Feldman's wife wakes up in the middle of the night to the sound of her husband pacing around the room. And she says, Feldman, oive, what's wrong with you? Come back to bed. And Feldman replies, Dor, I can't sleep. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to have to pay Levine $15,000 and I, I don't have the money. What am I going to do? That's how Jewish people talk. <laughs> and Dora says, you, you owe Levine? money and you're worried and he says yes i can't sleep she says oh silly man come back to bed let levine worry (laughs) you don't have the money just let him worry about it it's easy to tell someone not to worry it's really hard not to to stop worrying people can say oh don't worry about that and you be like yeah no i shouldn't worry about that oh my goodness i'm still worried about Because we're good at worrying, aren't we? Charlie Brown says, I've developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. (laughs) It's good. And you know, however we posture it, however we work out this, you know, where we're going to fix this worry thing. Usually we just find another way. (laughs) I'll just worry about one day at a time. Oh, that's good. That's a lot better. Better, you're still worrying, right? We still, we, you know, and we, we're good at, at hiding it or justifying it or camouflaging it or medicating it to try to, Make it go away. Jesus makes this astounding statement. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. Therefore, and so, because of the things he just said, do not be anxious. Don't worry. We say, thanks, Jesus. You know what the irony is? We spend so much time worrying about things we can't change. We have no control over. So many of us spend time worrying about things we can't change. We worry about the future unknowns. We worry about catastrophic possibilities. We worry about economic meltdown. We worry about earthquake destruction. If we live in British Columbia, you should be worried about that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know, we pre-argue things in our mind. Like, we'll write out in our mind this conversation. We're going to have this conflict. And we write it all out. And then we go to heaven. And the person goes off script right away. And then you're like, hold on, pause. I've got to go rewrite. Okay. I've got to think about what I was going to say. Okay, now I've got to rewrite. Okay. And then they go off again. We spend so much time 
doing this for things we can't control or change. Anxiety doesn't add to your life. Jesus says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour? You can't. It can't save you. Anxiety can't save you. It can't prolong your life. It won't give you more seconds or minutes or days or years. It just steals them from you. Philippians 4, 6 says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication in th- with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many times in scripture are we told not to be afraid? Lots and lots and lots. I just talked about that the other week. Jesus says these words. He says, oh, you of little faith. Ooh, whenever I read those ones, I'm like, ooh, is this a rebuke? Just put the tone on that one. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. How do we, again, it's like you're reading words in the Bible. You're like, okay, I got to watch the tone here. What is Jesus saying? He says this a few different times. Do you know that? It's in, recorded in the Matthew version of this same text. But it's Jesus when the, he's calming the storm and the disciples are in the boat and there's a, and they're going to die. Oh no, we're going to die. And they wake up Jesus and Jesus says, oh, you of little faith is this expression. Oh, you of little faith. He says it again when Peter steps out of the boat onto water and starts walking to Jesus. And he's walking on water to Jesus and then he sees the waves and the wind and he starts doubting and he starts sinking in the water and Jesus takes his hand and Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. I think, what? He's out of the boat? Are you kidding me? Peter got an oh, you have little faith? Man, another one? The disciples, Jesus is talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and the disciples are like, oh no, we forgot to buy bread. <gasps> We're going to be hungry. Oh no. And Jesus says, you guys, oh, you have little faith. I just multiplied for 5,000 people and you're worried about bread? For real? Come on, guys. The meaning of this expression is it's trusting too little. Trusting too little. Incredulous. Or lacking confidence. If we unspiritualize the word faith, which is really easy to spiritualize it, I know because I grew up in the church and I'd always be like, oh, faith, okay, I got to have more faith. I got to have more faith. I think I have enough faith, okay? I'm going to pray for something. Oh, the mountain didn't move. Oh, no, I didn't have enough faith. Okay, I got to go get more faith. Oh, I just need a mustard seed. That doesn't sound like very much. Okay, I've got some faith. I've got, oh, it didn't work. Oh, no, I don't have enough faith. I must be, like, I need, I need faith. Where do you get faith? What is faith? I don't know. How do you measure it? It's out there. What if you put the word trust on it? Trust. Will I trust? Am I willing to trust him and ask him for healing? Am I willing to trust him and ask him to move that? Am I willing to trust him and bring him these these struggles or these pains and bring them to him and trust that he's going to do something? If you know God... If you know God, you'll know that's how he works. In verse 30 in the message, it says this, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. If you know God, like he says, all the nations, they they are worried about all this stuff, but you know God, so you shouldn't be worried about all this stuff. 
And the reason is because how much more will God? This is a common like way of writing or way of expressing an idea. And it's like, here's this thing. How much more will God? Jesus uses in other places like, you know, you're, you might give bad gifts to your kids or good gifts or whatever, but how much more will God give good gifts? He's a good father. Here it's, you know, there's the birds and the flowers. How much more will God take care of you? He does this for them. And you are his unique masterpiece creation. Humans. He loves you. How much more will he take care of you? He's able to do all things. Your father knows. Secondly, Jesus says, your father knows. This is an incredible statement that if we really let it sink home in our hearts, it would go a long way to helping us walk in trust. Your father knows. He's not sleeping. He's not out of the loop. He's not off doing something different and doesn't see your situation. He knows. He didn't miss it. He hasn't missed you. He knows. And thirdly, Jesus says, this is one of my favorite. As I was looking at it, I'm like, this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, maybe. It is your father's joy to give you the kingdom. It's his pleasure. Isn't that amazing? We don't conjure him. He's not like petty Zeus or some other god. You know, oh, on Mount Olympus or on that mountain or over there or in that thing where they're so petty. Or Molech who wants your children sacrificed to him and he's demanding these things before he's happy, before he blesses you or helps you. Not so with God. He says, it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to. It's his joy to do it. And that's beautiful. Instead, Jesus says, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. God knows he's going to take care of you. The kingdom is your inheritance. This is our trust. We know God is in joy to provide for what we need. And my third point is about the Thousand Hills Investment Group. Started a company. I'm excited to tell you about it. The Thousand Hills Investment Group. Now, I would like to tell you this thing, and it's kind of like letting go of a dream a little bit. So when I fantasize about winning the lottery, this is what I fantasize about. Now, I realized as I was preparing this that it's okay for me to tell you this because I'm never going to win the lottery. It's not because of the odds. It's because I don't buy lottery tickets. So that right away is a bit hard to win if you don't buy the lottery tickets. So I understand this is like a dream that will never happen, so I'm okay to share it with you. And my fantasy about winning the lottery is that if I win the lottery, I will create something called the Thousand Hills Investment Group. And I'll put all this money into this entity that would go around and see where there's needs and research and find and be able to give to people. And it's not connected to me, it's its own thing. And so it's like third-party giving and you can give and it's blessing and me and kingdom impact here and doing this amazing thing. Oh, that church needs that money. Here's the money. Here's this thing. I'm like, wow, it's how awesome. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a secret. And I don't want you to waste it. Okay. This is my secret. It's our secret. We did this. We took money we had, we were given, 
We were given early inheritance for buying our house and some different things. We said, let's do this. Let's take some of that and give it away without anyone knowing it's us. And I wrote a letter, typed a letter. This is a gift from the Thousand Hills Investment Group. Your kingdom returns came in early. Here, here's a blessing. Why do we do that? Why did we do that? Because we believe in kingdom investment. That's why. Where is your treasure? This is Jesus' question to us. The more you invest in your 401k, the more your heart is in your 401k. The more you invest in your career, the more your heart is in your career. The more you invest in achievements and accolades, the more your heart is in those things. Jesus says the kingdom is like a treasure. The kingdom is like a treasure. This guy finds it buried in a field and he goes and he sells everything he has to buy that field and to get that treasure. Jesus says the kingdom's like that. Like when you realize you would give everything to have it because it's so valuable and worthwhile. So the question for us follows, where is your treasure? Where's your heart? Do you long for heaven? Do you long to see his face when we sing those songs? Does your heart, is your heart moved or stirred? Or do you like, oh, no, 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 no. Where's your heart? Jesus tells us that the safest and wisest investment is the kingdom the Thousand Hills Investment Group. That's the wisest and safest investment. It doesn't make sense when I look at my budget. When I look at my budget, I'm like, wow, why are we so short? Wow, this is really hard. Oh, well, there's this whole category over here. Why am I giving away more than 10% of my income? That seems really foolish. I have lots of children. Like, what? You want to eat again? What? (laughs) You need clothing? Why? Just be naked. It's okay. There's bills to pay. There's my future to think about. This doesn't make sense. Jesus says, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that will not fail, and no thief approaches and no moth destroys. If you invest in the Thousand Hills Investment Group, this is what you'll find and what we've found, that if the economy tanks, if the stock market crashes, if someone breaks into your house, if, or your bank account, or my stuff catches on fire, or my Porsche depreciates. What is it, Corvette? What, what kind of car do I have? A Cavalier. If my Cavalier depreciates, <laughs> can it depreciate anywhere? I don't know. I will not fear. I will not be shaken because my investment is with the Thousand Hills Investment Group. It's on long-term deposit. It's safe. And I'll cash in when I stand in glory, where my heart has always been. That's where I'll cash in. So how do we invest? Maybe you're like, okay, this is the first time I've heard of that. I'd like to invest. Great. You've heard about it. This is how you invest. I'll say all Thousand Hills Investment Group investors consider generosity to be an investment. All generosity is an investment. Number one, you could cultivate a generous heart. Give, give, 
give. It says this in Deuteronomy 15, 10 to 11, 2 Corinthians 9 to 9, 11. Give, give, give. Secondly, you could help the poor, the orphan, and the widow. Those are people special on God's heart, that when you help them, you're buying stock in this company. Deuteronomy 24, 21, James 1, 27. Thirdly, keep some giving a secret, which is why some of my stock just went down today, because I shared that story with you. So don't waste it. Keep some giving a secret. It's worth more. It says this in Matthew 6, 6, verse 3. Fourthly, when prompted, give sacrificially. That means it cuts you a little bit. You feel it. You can't do something else because you gave. These stocks are worth more. Luke 21, 3, 2 Corinthians 8, 3. And lastly, give first and give your best. This idea, which often we call tithing, is talked about in Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Second Chronicles, Nehemiah, and Malachi. These are ways you invest in the kingdom. People who picture their generosity flowing into a multiplying heavenly storehouse tend to be as gleeful as a stockbroker who just cashed in on the big one. That's why people can be cheerful givers. If you ever wondered, like, how cheerful giving? Are you kidding me? can't do that. Like, I, you, I can't. I just can't. You can when you picture it's going into this big multiplying heavenly storehouse. Then it's like, oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get any. No thanks came back to me. That's okay. Look. Oh, wow. There it is. This week I saw an ad about starting to save when you're young. I was in the bank getting a new bank card and I saw this thing and it was a graph and it was like, I was like, oh no, I'm turning 40. I'm on the low track. This is not good. You kind of like just are sad. It's a kingdom principle too. It's like start now. Just start right now. Don't wait. Well, I'm going to get this lined up. I'm going to get that lined up. And then I'll be able to start being generous or be giving or doing whatever. Don't wait. I got an email this week from Colleen Thompson. Um, I worked with her at Maple Ridge uh, Community Church. She was in charge of the the, community. the daycare, an amazing woman. She's in charge of the community network now. And she sent me this email about uh, asking if we as Jubilee would take it on to deliver some food to the homeless camp. She said it has come to her attention that there are hungry people there and they can't, it, we prayed about it, they can't, don't have an address and so they can't go to the food bank. They're not allowed. So they're trying to work out, well, okay, how do we fix that problem? But in the meantime, there's hungry people. And... My response back was I balked, to be honest. I responded, I said, I, I'm in conflict. I have an internal conflict. I know when people are hungry, we need to feed them. But I also struggle with how's the, what's the best way to help people? Because this is like a big, huge, thorny issue in our community. And how do we help people not just like Band-Aid, Band-Aid, Band-Aid. And I know also there's lots of people who love to take advantage of Christian charity because I've seen them walk through our office many, many times, repeatedly. So I struggle with this. And she responded back and she said, I don't think it's as complicated as you think it is. She went there herself and delivered some loaves of bread and some peanut butter. And this is what she wrote. I could not sleep well last night because of some of the folks I saw. Young men that seemed fairly clean cut. And I thought, what's their story? Why are they here? An old man in a wheelchair 
a young man in a wheelchair. I know the young guy lost one of his legs to cancer, and truthfully, he did not look well, and it kind of haunted me. There was one gal who was six and a half months pregnant, and uh, pretty sure another woman I saw was also pregnant. I saw older women and younger women. One older woman was probably in her 50s and said she used to be a teacher for the deaf and then owned her own business and things went badly and now she's living in a tent. I think there's some real opportunity here to support and care and build relationships and share the love of Jesus and it may start as simple as a loaf of bread and peanut butter. And Deuteronomy 15 says, give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way you handle matters like this triggers God, your God's blessing in everything you do, all your work adventures. There are always going to be the poor and needy among you. So I command you, always be generous, open purse and hands. Give to your neighbors in trouble, your poor and hurting neighbors. Don't wait. Don't wait. We can do this now. We could step into it. It's maybe simpler than you think. And if it's not that, and for some of us, it will be that. And for some of us, there's opportunity around us. And God says, don't wait, just do it. Just live generously. This is something you can invest in with guaranteed returns. It's a kingdom that's about to go public. And you can invest your money now, your time now, in a portfolio that can never be stolen or diminished or destroyed. And the return is unbelievable. It's the kingdom. So in conclusion, stingy living is about fear. The challenge for us is to trust God and live in generous kingdom investment. I think there is a, uh, an opportunity for us to respond. And I feel like for me, as I prepared this, God was stirring, and you could see that from my emotion. God was stirring things in my heart. He's convicting me about places in my own life where I have stingy heart. God says, don't let go, let go of that. That's not beautiful. And I'm convicted. And for us, there are some of us who need to repent of greed. And we might not like the word or whatever you put whatever word there. The truth is, some of us need to repent of it. Of living to compete or compare. Living consumed with bigger and better and faster and newer. And it's a trap to steal our joy. We don't need bigger barns. We need eternal investments. And there's some of us here too who need to repent of worry. Living and anxiety in whatever way you justify it or make it okay. Constantly frozen in, in indecision or in fear. We don't need to control everything better. We need to trust our good father more is what we need. And there's some of us here too who need to invest in the Thousand Hills Investment Group. It's actually not a company I started. It's a company that's been around a long time. Safe and high returns, real investment, your money, your time. Don't wait. The homeless in Maple Ridge are an opportunity. Colleen brought just loaves of bread, coffee, and peanut butter, and she said people responded. 
I know Gail has been there too and done similar things. So it, it's an opportunity to step into it. And for some of us, we need to step into something. God might stir and say, that's, where, that's your opportunity. That's an investment. Go ahead and do that. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Just step into it. The kingdom is waiting to be proclaimed in your generosity. Let's pray. God, I thank you for how you stir our hearts. You come in and you, you're not content with just um, watching from the sidelines as we try to make sense of our lives. That your, your desire is to come indwell us, to live in us by your spirit. And in being in us that you would convict us sometimes. We're, are, we're living in, in patterns that are damaging to us. Or where, God, you want to stretch us. You want to pull us out of our comfort into something beautiful, into your kingdom life. And God, generosity feels that way. It's, it's usually hard in some way to step into, and yet it's so beautiful when we do. And so, Lord, would you come and would you work in us? Lord, for those people who, who know that their heart is being pricked about uh, greed or, or comparing or um, competing for things, Lord, that, that they'd be able to let go and surrender to you. God, for, for those of us who, who need to repent of worry and anxiety, who are living with this day to day, consuming us, God, that we could bring it before you and invite more of you to come and to, to wash, wash us. And Lord, too, that you would speak to us by your spirit about the opportunities you're calling us to. They don't look the same. It's different. Lord, that, that there's things you're calling each of us to, to, to sow in generosity. And Bridget talked about it this morning, Lord, the sowing and reaping, God, that we could sow generosity and reap a beautiful harvest in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Amen.